sadly, to understand their sermon, you're going to have to learn math. I'm sorry. I once heard overheard a child talking to an adult about school. The conversation moved to math, and I heard something like this. Yeah, I like addition. I really understand subtraction. As a senior in high school studying calculus, this kind of gave me a good laugh because it's subtraction. But it also kind of puts in respect the benefit of experience. The child would see a problem like that and just be scared. I would see that and say, hey, it's pretty solvable. Well, in my math experience, I could solve that decently easily. Isn't that kind of like faith, in a way? I mean, as we learn more about our faith, or in really anything, we can overcome a lot more obstacles that come in its way. And by comparing our growing faith to math, we can see how some problems, problems others might have with their own faith can be eliminated through study and experience. So in mathematics, there's a concept called an asymptote which is a value that equation typically cannot reach no matter what. This is usually because, for a vertical asymptote, this is usually because the x value would mean that the equation is divided by zero, which is a big no-no. So for an example, an equation like this can never have an x value of two, so its x value can go to zero, not 1.999 repeating for the rest of the time until it becomes equal to two, but it can never actually equal two. In a way, that's kind of what our lives are like. We can never truly be sinless. We can never reach two, as, like Romans 3.23 states, for all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, if we can't be perfect, why can't we just sin as much as we want? I'm guessing most, if not all of you, in your early Christian life kind of had this kind of thought. I'll just sin now, and then, like, 20 years, I'll go back and get baptized and kind of redo my life in that way. And there are many reasons why this is kind of an awful idea, not least of which is that you could drop dead at any time for reasons outside your control. But I kind of want to focus on both biblical and non-biblical reasons why this is just poor decision-making. So if you're like me, which I'm guessing at least one person in this place is, you want, you want to not only know why a Christian would care about something, but also why a non-believer should care about something, as they're less likely to just believe a solely biblical reason for not sinning. So desensitization has two similar meanings. One is to make a sensitizer hypersensitive individual insensitive or non-reactive to a sensitizing agent. But the second definition is kind of one I want to focus on. To make emotionally insensitive or callous specifically to extinguish an emotional response as of fear, anxiety, or guilt to a stimuli that formally introduced it. So being desensitized can have its positives. Being desensitized things we may not find in line of scripture can be important as 1 Peter 2 9 states. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. To actually declare our praises to those in darkness, we, should, we can't just stay in our bubble of believers because we were once not in our bubble of believers. We need to spread the word as we are, like as Peter states, a chosen people that will bring others into his light. So, as Christians, we need to be a little decent side to be able to handle the uh, things and sins of the world. However, no one, believer or not, should be so desensitized to anything, much less sin, which is much worse than, say, food not tasting as good or not getting as much pleasure out of listening to your favorite song, that becomes unremarkable. If we become desensitized to the sin around us or to our own sin, we run the risk of keeping it in our lives permanently. If you'll turn with me to James one twenty seven. 
which states, Religion that God, the, that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In this verse, we can see that God accepts religion that helps the helpless and isn't tainted by the world, by pulling a fast one and just kind of redeeming yourself at the end of your life after you've sinned a lot and not really regretting any of that sin. Your religion isn't really pure. It's been tainted by your worldly desires. This isn't what, like, in Luke, the prisoner who uh, supported Jesus on the cross would face because he was truly honest in his redemption and him accepting that he will die and that he can be saved through Jesus, who was dying with him. This is what someone who, if you fully believe in God and his mercy, tries to exploit that by not listening to God, what God actually says, and instead just kind of doing what you want and just not actually doing anything to actually get into heaven. So, if you turn to me to Matthew 6.24 we can kind of see this in principle. Because no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is kind of this situation, just in a nutshell. This is someone who is trying to both serve his own pleasures of the world and serve his own, just is trying to serve God. But he can't, you can't serve both. And God demands your needs more than the world does. He needs your all. He can't just take a few, just every Sunday or every Wednesday. He needs to be a part of your life. He needs to be everything you have. Of course, that's kind of a little negative end of the sermon. Oh, I shouldn't have changed that yet. Actually, I should. And as Romans 6, verses 1 through 2 states, What shall we say then? Shall we go on seeing that our grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If you are, if you have gone past sin, you shouldn't be living it anymore because you've ascended above that. You don't, no, you no longer need to have those things to actually function as a person. Like I do not need to go back to algebra one. I'm sorry, but I don't because I've done it twice over actually, and I've already done that. I don't need to go back into something that's less advanced and just less necessary for my personal well-being compared to something I need to continuously grow in my math skills. And that's kind of how faith is like. You don't need to go back to like your life of sin because you've moved past it. You no longer need those things to function. You instead need to build on your experience in your current life, in your current experiences, through faith. Of course, I think there's a better way to end the sermon than this. Because... I'm just saying, right now, basically said, you can't ever equal God, you can never equal Jesus, and don't try and exploit it. And that just seems a bit negative, a pretty bad perspective. So let's take this equation, and let's change it a bit. Let's change it from 1 over x minus 2 to 1 over Jesus minus us. This, I feel, is kind of salvation in mathematical terms. We can never truly be sinless. We can never equal zero because we exist. But we can also never equal Jesus. But we're always taking away from him in some way. As we can see in Luke 23, Jesus had to suffer in our stead for our sin. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what we do. 
what they do. They, obviously, doesn't just represent the, the people who are crucifying him, but also everyone in the world that's kind of been calloused to, it, to their sin. And, but Jesus, in this equation at least, is, and even in life, this, he's functionally infinite. We can take away as much as we want, but because we can never be truly have infinite mercy as Jesus has towards us, we can never truly take Jesus away because he's just there for everybody, no matter how rich or poor you are, where you come from, like, at all. No matter what you've done, he can save you because we just can never equal his grace and mercy. He died so that everyone, even people who tortured him to death, could be saved. We can't be infinite like him, but we can become pretty close. We can be 1.9999999. And that's just what we have to do as Christians. Strive to be as close as possible to Jesus as we can. And there's nothing he can, he, nothing that can't be forgiven by him, as long as you truly do mean it. So today, if you're in that experience, you've always thought, oh hey, I might be able to just get baptized later, kind of blow it off for a bit. But you don't want to become desensitized to your sins and become desensitized to Jesus' call. He wants you to be saved. You can be as damaged as you want when you come to him, but you can never take away from Jesus what he gives to us, which is his infinite mercy. If you would like to be saved today, please come forward as we stand and sing.